0: What's up, skeptics? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I'm Jordan, joined with Jared, and today, again, second time in a row, we have a special guest, Dr. Josh. Uh, if you're not familiar with his work, Dr. Josh is an Assyriologist, graduate of Johns Hopkins, and he is perhaps most well known uh, for being a fellow bow tie enthusiast, but only slightly less well known for his expertise in uh, with. Uh, the Old Testament, biblical slavery, everything to do with the uh, nitty-gritty details in the Old Testament. How's it going, Dr. Josh?
1: Gotta be known for something, right? Gotta be known for something.
0: And there are worse things to be known for than dressing well.
1: (laughs) This is true. It's not the one I was thinking of, but yeah, that's it. (laughs) I don't know if I want to be the household name for slavery, so let's do it for bow ties. Let's do that. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. Bow ties is the way to go. Uh, So today we are going to be talking about uh, slavery in the Bible, and specifically we wanted to talk about it in its context. Often what we hear from modern-day Christian apologists, particularly those of an evangelical bent, people who have a very literal interpretation of the Bible and a theological commitment to believing every word is applicable to today, we'll hear things like, well, slavery practiced in the Old Testament wasn't like slavery in the Antebellum South. It was perhaps kinder and gentler to this than the slavery in the ancient Near East and these sorts of things. So we thought uh, we'd get, we always preach when you have a question to get your answers from the experts. So we have an expert here today to give us all the answers Uh, before we dive in Dr. Josh, uh, what do you have going on? Like what, where should people find you if they're interested in finding more?
1: Oh uh, yeah. Um, so my wife runs Digital Hammurabi, H uh, A M M U R A B I, and uh, like all of our like all of our stuff. That's uh, sorry, it's a YouTube channel. Um, and I just published a book, uh, the second edition to did the Old Testament endorse slavery, and uh, actually <laughs> November first, uh, we're publishing another book. And it's, uh, it's Learn to Read Ancient Sumerian, Volume 2, um, which is pretty exciting because that one's been in the works for a while. But uh, And I just started work on, uh, actually just started writing Volume 3 of the Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament. So that was a good feeling to do Monday morning. So awesome. I'm awesome. just at the beginning, but uh, it's, it's underway. So that's cool.
0: Very cool. Uh, So, definitely the link to that YouTube channel is in the description, and we'll put links to some of the publications too, so it'll be easy for everyone to find.
1: Thank you. But
0: today, we are going to be talking about everyone's favorite topic slavery. (laughs) Who doesn't like talking about that? Uh, So, before we dive into the Bible itself, can you paint us a picture of uh, slavery in the ancient Near East? Like, what did it look like commonly at the time?
1: Yeah. Uh, so when we're talking about the ancient Near East, just so like everybody's on the same page, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about roughly 3,000 to 300 BCE, right? So, uh, you know, writing gets invented right at the end of the fourth millennium and in Mesopotamia. So ancient Iraq and Syria, and it's, it's sort of just dealing with all of the the culture, the language and everything that, um, sort of ends up focusing a lot on Mesopotamia, but of course extends uh, down through the Levant and into Egypt, so, and a little bit over into Anatolia, um, or Turkey. So like it's it's that that region in between Iran um, and uh, you know like the end of the end of Anatolia, so the, the western part of Turkey. So um, so that that region in that time period, there's a lot of consistency it's obviously not the same uh precisely throughout um there's a a new book that just came out it's actually on the shelf behind me i could probably point to it it's that one i think yeah not that that helps anybody it's at all green, it's it's the green one guys it's the green just one. <laughs> zoom, zoom
2: in on the screen really big you'll be able to read it so. in
1: hands. <laughs> um <laughs> But it's uh it, it, Seth Richardson uh, has a chapter on old Babylonian slavery so slavery in the like the first quarter of the second millennium BCE. and he has this statement in there where he's like, there's no way that we could write a book about slavery in ancient Mesopotamia altogether because it would just seem to be way too much. but he's talking about it in the finer details. so broadly speaking, um, there were three types of slavery, two types that they would have considered, two main types. Um, And people categorize them differently, you know, in, in little nuanced ways, but there's basically debt or famine slavery and then chattel slavery. So debt slavery is that slavery that's contingent upon the repayment of a debt. You know, I kind of incorporate famine slavery in there because it's, the famine has caused somebody to need, you know, uh, they don't have the money to sustain themselves, so in that way, it's a debt. But not. I
0: hadn't you know, heard the term famine slavery. Is that slavery that's like brought on by there's a famine? You need food, so you sleep. so you're. That's sold. right.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. Um. But basically, the broad category of debt slavery is just any slavery that is you're you're enslaved, and that is contingent that slavery is contingent upon the repayment of a debt. So once the debt is repaid, you go back to your free free status. Um.
2: And then with debt slavery, could that have been, would that be voluntary? Or let's say I did something bad. Now I owe you a debt. Could it be both of those
1: under the law? Um, they would have considered uh, the, the the doing something bad would be like a punishment. Right. Um, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be something bad that we would consider. Like, um, you know, if, um, if something happens, Uh, through I guess through negligence on your part and it like destroys somebody else's field or community's field there were laws that said like you could be sold into slavery so that group could recoup their losses uh to a certain degree so uh but yes I mean people that you know committed crimes that you know that could that could um somebody land somebody in into slavery but that would be um you know most likely chattel slavery they'd be sold as property um but debt slavery normally comes where somebody takes out a loan and they default on that loan and, uh, and the creditor comes and, uh, takes them, takes them as a slave. Uh, it could also be that people could sign up for slavery and they would do so, uh, so that they would serve for a period of time, depending on the contract. Uh, and then often at the end of that contract, they would get some benefit from their master uh so for example like we have actual contracts that show people essentially saying i will sign up to be your slave for the rest of your life right Mm -hmm. um often their life and their life of their wife and um at the end of that period there are lots of things that could happen depending on the contract terms of contract but uh, quite often you would have this provision where the the slave would be adopted. They would go through a legal uh, legal process where they're like legally adopted uh, by the master. And in so doing, they were eligible to inherit. Um, and so as sort of like the repayment uh, for that slavery, they would be able to inherit uh, a share, a field, whatever. Uh, but again, there's that sort of stuff is sort of wide open in some respects to the terms of the contract. Uh, so like you could negotiate hard or you could, you know, be in a position where you couldn't negotiate much at all. Um, it just, it just depended, but that's, those are under the law, those are considered voluntary, right? Even the, even the debt slavery where you default on the loan and they come and take you legally, that's considered a volitional move, right? you you've because, you've, because you chose to
0: take on the debt.
1: That's right. That's right. Um, so then the other, the other major category is chattel slavery, at least by their lights, uh, would be chattel slavery. So this is just someone whose enslavement is not contingent upon the repayment of the debt. So, um, you know, someone is born into slavery, you know, from slave parents, that person is a houseborn slave. They are chattel. Um, you know, someone, uh, can come into slavery under, uh, the, the category of debt or they can be pledged, uh, as sort of like collateral against, uh, against a a loan and if that loan is not repaid in a certain period of time that slavery is converted into chattel they become property Um, once that happens manumission is no longer required uh now they still could be manumitted but it's not there's no like legal requirement on the part of the master to um set them free uh those are the two main categories now from our perspective we would we in modern terms would categorize Sexual slavery as something that was all also done, though they would not have considered it as such. Um, so, you know, some you know, if, if a woman were taken uh, as plunder, for example, um, and the uh, the captor decided he was going to take her as a wife or as a concubine, um, there there is no consent given there, and her body is being used uh, for its sexual and procreative purposes, and that is sexual slavery by definition today. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, just making sure that we distinguish between how they would view it and how we would view it, I think is important um, in the same way that there are lots of things that they did in the ancient world that we would call rape, um, that they would not have called rape uh, because the idea of consent was, if applicable, very different.
0: Yeah, it's, two it's questions. super important to understand the historical content. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on you, Jared.
2: Yeah, no, I said had two questions. Um, so particularly for like sexual slavery of women, so when we are looking at some of these older texts and these codes and laws that are written, are they not considering women or sex slaves in those laws, like for the most part, or were there specifically laws written for treatment of them, but we, we wouldn't lump them into slave codes or slave laws?
1: So I guess what I, what I mean when I say it to be clear is that they, you know, we, we have a category that we recognize as sexual slavery. They would have just Uh, considered, you know, uh, a debt slave, a female debt slave, um, you know, could fall into that category of her, her body being used for its reproductive purposes. That makes sense. um, And certainly a chattel slave, they would not have said, this is sexual slavery. They would have just said it's slavery. Um and in fact, in some cases, they would not have said it was slavery. So uh, the example that I always give from the Bible is in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21, where a captive bride is taken by an Israelite soldier. Um, they would not have considered that, you know, her status would not have been slave. Uh, but certainly by our lights, from our modern point of view, you know, she had she, there was no consent required from her and she's being taken for her sexual and reproductive purposes, you know, capacity. So that would certainly be, you know, considered sexual slavery because she couldn't leave. Right.
2: My second question would be then I noticed you didn't use the word indentured servitude. Is that just a fancy way of not saying debt slave?
1: (laughs) So indentured servitude is like, I would say a form uh, of debt slavery. So it sort of falls under the category, but yeah, indentured servitude is just, uh, slavery by contract. Um, slavery it, with extra steps. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, like, um, certainly there was indentured servitude, right? Um, I, of course, we're familiar with that term if we've engaged in, uh, you know, arguing with Christian apologists because this is the one type that they want to focus on. Right. Um, it wasn't
0: slavery, could... it was indentured servitude. And I'm always like, but that's slavery, though. Yeah, right, right. Right. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, this is. We could talk about this later, but this is probably one of the scariest parts of this conversation that I that I see now. Um, <laughs> is that, like, when I first started talking about this topic, I spent a lot of time just trying to show people the data. Mm. Right? Let's go look at the passage. Let's read what it says. I've been doing this for long enough or it people have been talking about it now for long enough uh, that i i i'm less frequently having to prove to people that it's genuine slavery it still happens uh, but it's becoming less frequent now what i'm hearing is well how do we, how do we even know that slavery is immoral right <laughs> i i had that
0: also the same experience recently i was talking to someone it's like oh that's slavery and it's like yeah but if the bible says slavery is okay then it must actually be okay and i'm like oh my goodness like,
1: <laughs> yeah this is where we are right uh um, i mean so yeah sorry not Jared, to give ahead.
2: them not to give them credit but i mean if you're gonna say it's all inerrant word of god and you you know
0: i mean at least it's consistent the, I yeah. the extreme.
1: <laughs> yeah i mean this is this is really the thing right like um this is why I get such a kick. I'm sorry we can get back to it, but I get such a, a kick is probably the wrong word treating it too uh, lightly, but right like when people say to me, oh that you know like passages about genocide, and they say to me, well, that's just hyperbole. Um, oh, okay, uh, so what do you think happened, right? And if you press them, they'll be like, well, they killed all the men. And they probably killed like a lot of the women and maybe but some not of the all children. Of them. <laughs> yeah, but then they mostly they just drove them off their land and away from their homes, right? That's that that that's basically what they did. So it's you know it's not like they killed everybody. They yeah. just kind of like, drove them out of their home, and it's like
0: my brother in Christ. That's that's genocide.
1: Like, yeah. So anyhow. um, Well, yeah, you um, find
0: yourself just general rule. If you find yourself wondering whether genocide or slavery is wrong, maybe back up.
1: Yeah. Just (laughs) just (laughs) reexamine. I I mean, yeah, that's really what it is, right? Like I I steadfastly refuse to debate the question, is slavery immoral? Just will not. It's like it's like our trans people people like it. Just I'm just that's not a topic that I'm even entertaining the debate. Exactly.
0: Um, Sa- same thing, hundred percent. I start every yeah. conversation like, "Can you agree that slavery is wrong?" And if the answer <laughs> is no, then I don't even know where to start. Yeah, yeah. Right?
1: You, you
0: don't start. Yeah, yeah. yeah start by leaving
2: start. <laughs> Homer Simpson oh. into the bushes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so.
0: That's the context of uh, that these books are written in, the kind of culture that we're surrounding them. But what we often hear is that, well, that that was the way things were done over there, you know, over in Babylon or wherever, but not here in Israel, not the, the slavery that the Bible preaches. So uh, is it true? Were there significant differences between how the Israelites conducted slavery, or was it very similar to what was going on?
1: Yeah, let me preface the answer um, with. A caveat, when you're having a conversation, particularly with an evangelical, that holds to the inerrancy of the text, um, you have to be careful how you address these types of, of, of questions or deal with these types of uh, questions. And let me, let me give an example um, about, like, sort of going back to violence for just a second, you know, one of the main things that people say when when you confront them with something like "look at what the Canaan you know, happened to the Canaanites," um, they're often the first response. If it's not hyperbole, their first response is "Yeah, but do you know how wicked those people were?" Now, there are two ways that you you have to be able to parse out what they mean when they say that. Because if what they mean is, you have to step inside my worldview, which assumes the inerrancy of the text and the historical validity of all the things that show up in this text, then you have to agree with them, right? You have to say, yeah, okay, the Bible does say, that the people that lived in this land were really wicked and got it to spit them out. Mostly what they were doing was idolatry, but it does talk about child sacrifice. So yes, if we're assuming for the sake of argument, the entirety of your position, then yes, you know, I have to, I have to grant that the problem is that if, or, or if they're not doing that and you can explicitly say that to them, yes, I, I know that the narrative tells you that, but do you know that we don't have any archeological evidence that supports that from the second millennium. And the archeological evidence that we do have comes from the seventh through the second centuries BCE, and which is much later than what the Bible requires. And it comes from Carthage, not even from Canaan. You know, it's it's so like, but you have to be able to distinguish, are they talking about it from their theological framework and just saying what the Bible says is true? Or are they, uh, are they saying, uh, or are they allowing for what does you know what do these other um, archeology you know archaeology and these other fields of study tell us about that? Okay, so bringing that back to slavery, um, you know, this is one of those places where it doesn't make a big difference, um, because what the biblical texts say. There are a couple of places in Deuteronomy 15 and Leviticus 25 where for Israelites. Now, not for everybody, but for Israelites, there is a supernatural component sort of infused into the law um that would make it better than what we see in the surrounding nations, right? Uh but scholars are pretty much unanimous on this, and I'll explain why, uh, that this is like sort of utopian, right? Idealistic. Um, and, and it's certainly not something that actually happened. Um so in Deuteronomy 15, uh, so, so sorry, let me let me back up. On the whole, the laws about slavery are on par with one another. Some some of them are a little better in the laws of Hammurabi, for example. Some of them aren't as good in the law Middle Syrian laws, right? Like, it just it just depends. Um, I have an entire chapter uh, in the new the new edition or the new book, like, dedicated to comparative analysis. Uh, so all the places where there's overlap, I just go through them all and say here you go um but you know basically you have debt slaves they uh they have more generally have slightly more protection than chattel slaves do uh they have to be released after a certain period of time usually uh so if you know if somebody is taken um as a debt slave uh, like the laws of Hammurabi limit that to three years of service and then they are released in the fourth in the biblical text that six years they are released in the seventh. But again, like is one a little better than the other? Yeah. But I mean, like on the whole, slavery, yeah, like the process is just generally the same. Um, chattel slaves are owned as property. They can be passed on as inheritance. Right. This is This is just standard sort of across the board uh, slaves are expected to be beaten, uh, debt slaves even are expected to be beaten, but, uh, you're not allowed to abuse them and you're not allowed to murder them. Uh, now, of course, what do we mean by abuse? Uh, and did that actually, you know, fall into a, uh, a context where it could actually be upheld? Those are different questions. Um, but like you were only supposed to beat your slave for moderate correction. um, and and you just, weren't supposed to. Sorry, just beat them a little
0: bit, just a little yeah. bit. It's okay.
1: Well, I mean, it would be you know like beating them with a wooden rod is uh, on the back is 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 pretty standard. Um, and so the pl- the two places that it seems like for Israelites it gets a little better. Um, in Deuteronomy fifteen, it says that it, just as it did in Exodus twenty one, you you keep them for six years, release them in the seventh. Uh, but in Exodus 21, it just says they just go free, right? In Deuteronomy 15, it says, um, which is a book that is designed in a lot of ways to to try to make Israel the head of the other nations, right? So they, you don't want a country of poor people. So that sort of sets the context for what's going on. Um, it says that the master is supposed to not only set them free, but is supposed to provide for them liberally from his threshing floor and from his vineyard and so he's supposed to set him out um or her out with provisions so they don't fall back into poverty um and it says i will supernaturally bless you in order to allow you to do that right so you can see how the the supernatural infusion there in order to make that happen and something similar is true in leviticus 25. Uh, but again this is just for israelites and you know the reality is that we don't have evidence that this was actually implemented and most likely was not, right? Um, Wait, you the mean the laws. nation
0: doesn't always follow their laws 100%? Oh,
1: <laughs> what? And of course we have, you know, even though it's debated whether this is actually, um, you know, like historically reliable account, you have this in Jeremiah 34, right? Where, uh, you know, debt slaves are being kept and not freed as Deuteronomy 15 requires. Um, and so like we have a whole story about how they weren't doing that. Um, so yeah, I mean, but, but that's sort of the short answer, that very, very long winded answer after that, um, is that it's essentially on par, right? Some places are a little better, uh, in, in, in some places in the, the law collections of the ancient Near East In other places, the Bible's a little bit better, but for the most part, it's all just roughly the same.
0: So one thing you touched on that we hear, very frequently. It's this thing about being released on the seventh year. And so uh, often this is characterized as a global rule. All slaves would be released every seven years. So it was never like this chattel slavery like you hear in the American South. And what I'm hearing you say is that those rules, to the extent they were even followed, only applied to Israelites. That's correct. To Jewish men.
1: That's correct. Um, And, (laughs) you know, I had a uh did a review of a a legit scholar legit dead sea scrolls scholar um recently but he 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 in his uh publication of his dissertation had an excursus where he he made an argument uh about leviticus 25 to 46 which is that sort of infamous passage now that everybody knows by heart right but uh about foreign slaves being able to be kept for life and passed on as inheritance being permanent property those sorts of things and he tried to make the argument that those are actually, um, uh, that law actually applies. Uh, it's it's the same law that's being applied in Exodus 21 and Deuteronomy 15. They, those are foreigners. They're supposed to be released in the seventh year, which is explicitly not what's going on. Uh, like specifically, it was the weirdest. It's, it's a very strange argument. But anyway, uh, yeah, the... the Exodus 21, Deuteronomy 15, most likely talking about just Israelite debt slaves. Um, so when you're, you're talking about chattel slaves, um, certainly foreigners can be taken as chattel slaves, whether they live in the nations around uh, Israel or they're living in the midst of Israel. Um, and those become, uh, the Hebrew word is achuzah, which is uh, the word that's used to describe their landed property. Uh, so, like the, the actual land that they get and it gets passed on and stays in the family. Like that's how the slaves are described. Uh, so they stay with the, they become the inherited property um, and they're passed on to children and made to serve forever. But, Dr. So, Josh,
0: isn't there a rule against kidnapping? Doesn't that mean that slavery was outlawed?
1: Oh my gosh. I, you, you know what? End stream. We've been I, totally dismantled. How did you miss that? <laughs> Exodus 21 16. It's like the Achilles heel. <laughs> God, you know, it's so funny to me when people say that. Um, because like after I actively resist bringing my face, uh, my, my palm up to my forehead, um, which I'm usually successful at resisting, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I say things like, "You know that it was illegal to kidnap people everywhere, right?" <laughs> like, right. it's it's not like you could go to Babylonia and they're like, "Oh yeah, it's all we love kidnapping people. It's totally <laughs> awesome." <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, like the punishments varied, that's for sure. Um, but but it, it it was still illegal, right? And so. Um, Yeah. So you you couldn't steal people anywhere. And the example that I always give is you can't steal somebody else's car. Right. You still got cars, but you can still own a car. (laughs) Uh, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, it's, it's the logic is just, uh, it's because I guess the word slave appears in that context that it's like, oh, uh, you know, okay. Um, That that must, that must, that must do it.
2: Well, with that, so one thing I'm hearing you say, too, because uh, sometimes I'll hear Christians say, well, you know, the Israelites were had to deal with the culture around them. So they had to make these special rules. And God said, OK, well, if you're going to have slaves, these are the rules and we're going to be special and different. But what I'm hearing you say is that the rules were set up or pretty much just adopted across the and they had little differences. So there wasn't like a unique thing that the Israelites had and they put special provisions in that God gave them.
1: Yeah, and, and this is what you'll see happening. Um, you know, I uh when I first came online, uh again, the the what you just said is sort of like verbatim what you would hear, right? For people that uh as soon as you did point out that it was actual slavery, they'd say, Well, you know, God has to condescend, right, to sinful man. And Yes to
0: us um, where we are, Josh. That's
1: yeah, me, where you we, know. we are. How, it's how it is, uh, you know. Mixed fabrics. Well, he's not going to meet you there, but um, <laughs> that's that's what's a bridge too far. But um, and don't be eating that shellfish. No, but uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's the problem with the argument, uh, of course, is that you'd have to show where it's better. Right, you'd have to show where God is making these changes, and so what? I, what? What is happening now? Is that people are having to go? Okay, like I give up. I see, like I surrender. They don't say that, obviously, but like, Old Testament slavery is bad. Okay, like we give in. Um, God was working with the people until we get to the New Testament. You know why? Because we found Matthew nineteen, and Matthew nineteen solves all our problems, right? Because you have heard it said, right? That's not, but like you know, like the 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 Moses told you that you could have uh, or you could divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts, right? But it wasn't so from the beginning. And that, my dear friends, is what slavery is all about uh slavery is something that that god said sure sure i'll put laws in it's like an exhausted
0: parent he's like
1: (laughs) fine you guys can have slaves fine (laughs) is that a pig i see you eating you know but but you gotta uh, pick
0: your battles josh yeah Yeah, right it's exactly
1: right i guess they were they were it's easier to give up uh pork but um but of course the problem we could talk about this if you want to, but I mean, like, of course, the New Testament struggles uh, to try to condemn the social institution of slavery. So not a, not, it's just still an uphill battle for yeah the apologist.
0: Paul, uh, I think the closest it ever comes to is Paul. It's like, Hey, I like this guy. It would be cool if he wasn't a slave. Could you free this guy?
1: You know, <laughs> I'm not going to force you. I mean, don't, yeah. don't hear me saying that. Um <laughs> Course, I'll tell those women to keep silent in the churches, but I don't have a problem right. with that, but well, I I, you know, baby steps, that.
0: Baby steps, baby steps. Yeah, it's yeah, not going to
1: make you free, free the slate,
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, so. Uh, Slavery in the Bible, not significantly different from its cultural context. You mentioned Exodus, and I think one of my favorite parts of Exodus, uh, because people are often talking about the going free things and how they could go free. And my favorite part, I think, is the part where uh, the the slave is saying, oh, but I love my master. I want to stay. And so please have me be a slave. And if correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of how that works is if you were, if you didn't have a wife and child, when you came into service, if you were handed one, those stay with the master. And so the master is basically saying, hey, you can go free, but your kids, they're mine.
1: Oh, you want to stay? Great. You know, Great. Like, wow. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> Sign here. Yeah. God, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, so that's what, uh, talking about Exodus 21, two to six. Um, and, and that's what the law is dealing with, right? And this is something that, again, is common to ancient Near Eastern legal collections. Um, this, this same principle applies. Uh, so if, if a guy becomes a debt slave, and uh, as you said, if he's married, uh, when he becomes a debt slave, then when he leaves, his wife goes out with him, right? Uh, if he comes in single, he goes out single. And that even um, applies If the master says, uh, here, Mr. Mr. Dead slave here is a a woman for you to have sex with so that you can provide me with children, slaves. That's what's going on. Uh, he is being used for his sexual capacities. That's what's going on. He's a sex slave. So. Uh, we don't tend to think of men right in that way as frequently, but that's what's going on here. He's being used for sexual capacities, um, and so when he has you know children with uh, this this woman, and uh, they produce houseborn slaves, the, they are chattel. The wife is chattel, um, and so this is what makes Paul Copan's uh, statement about like uh, if you read his book, has got a moral monster. Uh, he's got a section in there that talks about well, what is this guy gonna do? Well, he has a couple of options. He could like leave and go save up his shekels uh, to buy a house, but I mean it's really hard to find work. And if you've been a slave, you don't have any money. Uh, or you know he could uh, you know and he could just wait for his wife and child to finish their term of service, um, or he could say, you know what, I got it really good here. Right, like it's just all roses and chocolate here. You know what I mean? Like it's it's the best of the best, and I'll just sign up for life. Um, and the problem is that neither of those first two scenarios are applicable because she's not a debt slave. The kids are not debt slaves; they are property, they're chattel, so they don't get released. He's going to waiting the point. a while. Yeah, right. Uh, um, <laughs> and and so and so that's why um, that's why he, he decides that he could make that, um, you know, that, that commitment. He wants to make that commitment. Um, and yeah, I mean, but that's the definition of duress, right? Right. That's the definition.
0: Yeah. Like, even if you accept everything they're saying, this is not exactly an equal negotiation. Yeah, that's
1: exactly right. Um, now when you get to Deuteronomy 15, you only have, so Exodus 21 says, I love my wife and my children and my master. Deuteronomy 15 just truncates that down to I love my master. Um and so like is there some play at work there with the uh you know the Deuteronomist probably um but yeah I mean that like that's that's absolutely the case. And of course you see uh the female slave in the following verses being used for her sexual capacities, right? And the, the difference is that, you know, when she's sold as an ama, a, a female slave, her status has to be elevated because if you use a guy's sexual, you know, capacities, he's not deflowered. They didn't consider him to be diminished or tainted in any way. Um, whereas with the woman, you know, she she has become humbled, as the text will often be translated, um, but she's been deflowered and, and devalued. Because their sexual capacity has been has been utilized. So, um, yeah, I mean, like these are these are not the flexes. I think sometimes that Paul Copan or others, you know, apologists like Frank Turek, Mike Winger, these they, it's not really the flex they think it is. Right. right.
2: If we go back, take it back even a further step, um, we haven't really talked about the actual word "slave" in the Hebrew text does it does it translate equally to what we would consider as slave today i mean is that like a way that apologists will try to slip out and say well it didn't actually mean slave back then um could you talk about that
1: yeah time? absolutely so um just like any language ever you know known to mankind uh you know, words the the meanings of words are contextually derived right so um when you when you look at Semitic words or even Sumerian words, because Sumerian, some of the law collections are in Sumerian, uh, the word slave can show up in a variety of contexts. And the example that I always give, of course, and this is gonna be probably for everybody listening, including you guys, like duh, sorry. Um, but like the word run, like how do we define the word run? Well, it depends, right? It depends on the context. My refrigerator is running. My nose is running. My car is running. Jackie Joyner-Kersee is running, right? Like, it just depends. I'm going to go for a run around the block. That's a different run than Jackie Joyner-Kersee did, right? Mm. Um, Hopefully, that's the last Olympic sprinter that I remember, so forgive me, everybody. (laughs) Um,
0: My running is definitely very different from that running.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Preach. Um, (laughs) So um so it just depends on the context well the word slave uh you know just like just like the word son s-o-n um can be used in a wide variety of contexts right um or like the word boss uh hey uh come come to the office uh where i work here let me introduce you to my boss is uh you know very different from man like hey what's up boss or as Michael Scott would say, those shoulder pads are really boss, right? Um, (laughs) Sorry. Um,
0: No, uh, office references are always allowed. Okay, good.
1: Good, good. I'm not superstitious. Just a little little superstitious. (laughs) So I'm the guy at the station. Anyway, um, (laughs) that's it. That's the last one. The last one for another five minutes or so. it's it's the office in Seinfeld. That's what'll come out of me, uh, anyhow. So I have lost what I say. I was say so. The word so the word eved. And by the way, let's all say it together. I've never done this. Let's all say it together. I'll say it, and then you say it after me. You and the audience say it with us as well. So the word is eved. E V E D. The emphasis is on the first syllable. So ev-ed. eved. Try it with me, guys. Eved. 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 Yeah. Eved. Good. Um, because what you will hear, and it's fine. I like. I, don't, I people can mispronounce words in English or foreign languages. I don't I, like. I don't care. But just don't come flexing on me, like you know Hebrew, and then say a bed, right? If you say abed, like I like my respectometer meter just, right? Like, because you don't know Hebrew, so don't flex like you do. It's not a bed. It's eved. Um, anyway the word eved uh now you're all it,
0: experts in hebrew
1: that's right now now, <laughs> now you can take it. it everybody yeah. can do it um <laughs> so uh, it it is used in a wide variety of contexts right so it can mean like this the slaves of the king right this doesn't necessarily mean that these are people that are like working in his house being beaten for motivation, like these could be his, what we would call, consider like servants, right? Could be his slaves. Uh, it just depends on the context. If you read through uh, the Akkadian term as Wardu or Ardu, and if you, if you read through um, these uh, cuneiform tablets that we have a large collection of called uh, the Amarna letters from the Amarna period, um, these, many of these, most of these are written by vassal kings, little sort of petty kings that are in the land of Canaan, which is a, uh, under the control of Egypt at the time. And so they're writing to the pharaoh as his vassals, and they're saying, your servant writes to you, your slave writes to you. Well, that king, like he's not serving in somebody's house, right? So we, we can't say that he's, that word carries the same nuance as what it means when you know, the guy has said, you will serve in my house for life and be passed on as inheritance, right? That's a different Eved than the king that is in Eved. It's just, it's a, so when we talk about like, um, you know, words uh, are pictured like in a Venn diagram, right? You have sort of constellation of characteristics that uh, sometimes will overlap, and but there'll be these parts that don't. And unfortunately, this is what somebody like, hate to say it, keep bringing them up, but somebody like Paul Copan, if you hear him make arguments like, well, you know, basketball players, they are sold, they're traded. Yeah. That's the part that overlaps. Right. But you can't then say, focus on
0: that. Right. Yeah.
1: You know, P equals Q. It doesn't work that way. Right. That's, that's not how it works. Just because there's some overlap doesn't mean that everything overlaps. Um, and so, yes, there can be a wide variety of usages. Now, uh, sorry, your actual question now. Sorry. Context
0: matters. That's why we have yeah. it here.
1: Yeah. Um, so, the problem with the a, any word um, is that we have a particular uh, context in life. Right. And so like when I hear the word um, pop, that's going to have a very different meaning for somebody that hears it further out West. Right. Uh, I'm going to think about like the sound that happens when you blow a balloon up too much. Right. Or, you know, a bubble exploding. Right. Somebody else. Also... <laughs> uh, right. Uh, so people are, because we come from different experiences and different life backgrounds, we associate different things in the same way that if you've if you've had a kid and you've been talking to your uh, partner about what to name it, like he, you know Alex. Oh, I had a really bad experience with someone named Alex. Right? There's <laughs> my Seinfeld reference. Um, so, so he always had coffee and every five seconds. <sighs> anyway, um, okay, I swear I'm done. Um, so when people hear slave. We here in the United States and in many other places in the world that know about the atrocities that took place in the US, um, associate that word slave with a lot of different images, right and thoughts, the movie Roots, right? Somebody chained up outside and being you know severely whipped uh, or you know locked in like an outhouse in the winter overnight that freezes to death. Like there are, you know, we, we see uh, people in, in shackles, like pushing mining carts or something like, this is what we associate with slavery. Um, and it's all that we associate often with slavery. And so in this very limited sense, everybody please pay close attention to the limited sense of what I'm saying here. Get ready the to ap- take
0: it out of context. <laughs> Just clip
1: here, (laughs) right? Clip here. Uh, the apologist is correct, right? That's what they're going to clip, right? The apologist is correct. And they're just going to loop it. Um, when they say we have images in our mind, when we think about it and that image is usually the antebellum South, here's where, uh, the apologist goes way off. Right. And totally misuses that, that bit of information they got right. Um, they say, because um, because slavery, as depicted in our brains in that, you know, video reel that runs when you hear the word slave, because that horrific treatment of human beings at that v- very extreme end of the of the treatment, um, is not what we see in the laws of the Old Testament then they're nothing alike. Right. And let me, let me say that again, the comparison that the apologist makes is between what happened boots on the ground in the antebellum South and what we have learned about that and the images that we have from that.
0: From witnesses who were there.
1: Yeah. Um, And the laws in the Hebrew Bible. And you cannot compare those two in the same way to be fair that you couldn't compare Jeremiah 34 and Nehemiah five where the law was disobeyed because that's, what's happening in the antebellum South um, to compare that and how they totally abused the the laws and didn't, you know, keep them and they kept their slaves and they had to release them. But then they stole them back again. They kidnapped them back. You know, you couldn't say, well, look how horrible slavery in the Hebrew Bible laws was or in the Hebrew Bible because the apologists would be very quick to say, whoa, 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 that's just sinful man disobeying the law, right? Well, go read the laws in the antebellum South. You'll be surprised Right. Thomas Morris has a whole book on this. Um, And of course I have a chapter on it, but um, like laws that the intent of the lawmakers in the antebellum South were to protect the slave. Like that sounds crazy because of course it epically failed, which is the key that we need to take away from that. In my opinion is that the law didn't stop it. Right. Right.
0: Well, ultimately laws have to be enforced by the people in power and if the people you in go. power don't have an incentive to enforce the laws
1: well and think about it guys like I, I i know i say stuff like this a lot but like and i i go into this in a little more detail in the book but i mean like think about what you hear apologists saying about slavery right as you just said jared it's not like the antebellum let's just get that right out of the way it's nothing like the antebellum south well i mean it depends on what you mean if you're looking at the laws in the developed South, well, then it's a lot like it, right? Um, but then the next thing that they'll say um, is that, you know, well, I mean, yeah, sure. Proverbs 29, 19, and 21 says that y- you should beat your slave, right? But it's just for discipline. Come on, it's, come on, it's just for discipline. You know, you're not abusing them, you're not allowed to abuse them. And how else
0: can you possibly teach them?
1: How else? How else, right? Because that's what the proverb says, right? If you, you know, they don't, uh, they don't, uh, they're not motivated by words alone, right? And if you, if you, if you don't, they would be, if you don't uh, physically discipline, but they become spoiled, right? So, so, I mean, they so that's why Exodus 21, 20 to 21 says like, you could, yeah, sure, sure, you can beat, but it's for, it's for moderate correction. Well, guess what? That's the same argument that you can use to defend the laws in the antebellum South. Do with that what you will, Mr. Apologist, right? Because I don't think you want to be caught on camera defending
0: the antebellum South.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. No, that that would not that would not go over well.
0: I happened to live in a state that was part of the antebellum South and I was educated in this state and even in an education system where it was the war of Northern aggression, not the civil war. Right. Even there they would not defend slavery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, well, so well, go ahead, Jared.
2: So I was going to ask, cause do we have anything outside of the, uh, the Hebrew text? give us any indication of what slavery was actually like boots on the ground in the ancient near east or are we just merely going off of of the written uh,
1: record so in the rest of the ancient near east absolutely tons and tons of stuff um and in fact uh (laughs) Um, so this is the new book uh one of the new things that i have in the book are new appendices two new appendices so that's the the. if you can see that that's mm-hmm. the thickness of the main body of the book <laughs> and those are the two <laughs> appendices um appendix a is every law um I don't know if you guys can see that, but yeah. every law in the law collections, all the law collections from the ancient Near East and the Hebrew Bible, that have anything to do with slavery in translation, and then commentary on it. Okay. So I go through all of them, uh, and the reason that I bring that up is not to shamelessly plug the book. Sorry, um, that's well, really sh- not why. You I should do that. shamelessly plug the book. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but the reason that I that that I think it's important um, to to say that is we have a lot of data and it's not just law collection. So we go through every law, but then we have contracts, right? Uh, we have letters, we have court cases, all preserved originals, right? Like, and we have them, they have the cuneiform tablets, the, the clay tablets. And uh, they so that they give us tons and tons and tons of information about uh, what slavery was like. This, by the way, is why um, over the past like 50 years, uh, the idea that like the laws of Hammurabi, the laws of Hammurabi used to be called the code of Hammurabi, if you've you've heard that. Mm -hmm. And we sort of shy away from that now because a code sort of means like this is normative authoritative legislation, right? Like it's being promulgated as the law of the land and the judges when they, you know, sat in judgment. They would say, uh, "Hang on a, you had a sheep stolen. Hang on a second. Uh, oh, there it is. Right there, there, there's our, there's our case law. That's our precedent, right? So that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, probably didn't function that way, right? Um, but that's how we know because we have all of this extra material. Now the problem is that we don't have a lot for Israel, um, and. Like so, we have um, like the Elephantine papyri uh, down in Egypt. We have uh, like a in in Babylonia. We have uh, like a Judean, um, uh, you know, people that were taken into exile, you know, and and some of the documentation there. But I mean, from there's just not a lot from Israel proper. So basically, what we have to go on is uh the biblical texts right and so it can be difficult because they're not uh you know those are those are much later manuscripts uh and also they're coming from a genre that is probably not strictly reflecting or may not be reflecting uh what the law was like actually on the ground um
0: well it sounds like So we may not have a lot of direct evidence per se when it comes to the way it was in Israel. But if we've got, here's the law in the Antebellum South and here's the practice. And then here's the law in the ancient Near East and here's the practice. Like you've got data points of this discrepancy everywhere where humans are involved. And then you have one missing data point. And within the Bible, you've got instances where they're like, and they weren't following the laws. So clearly sometimes at least it happened.
1: Yeah. And I mean, from, of course, if you're, and this is the one, saving grace uh forgive forgive my expression uh you know if you're talking to a fundamentalist evangelical like they're gonna have to say uh or they're going to say these were the laws handed down from yahweh to moses or mount sinai like of course this is that these are the laws (laughs) these are the rules right they had to they had to obey these right so uh. And if
0: the Bible is consistent on one thing it's that the Jewish people never ever broke the laws or in any way strayed, right?
1: It's so interesting. <laughs> we don't have to like stray into this, but it's so interesting to me how um it gets sort of missed that the biblical texts are trying to explain why it is that Judah, Israel and Judah went into captivity. So, if you read through like the Deuteronomistic history, like the the reason that you see the law, you you need to obey the law. If you don't obey the law, I'm going to cast you out of the land. And then you see them not obeying the law. Guess what that explains? Why they're out of the land. So it's like. So you can look at that one of two different ways, right? It, the, Moses actually got this stuff. These were the laws and that the people were just were really that bad and they just kept disobeying or people later looking back and say, why are we here? Oh, kind of you know, projecting. probably back. because we didn't obey the law. So anyway. So quick question
0: from the audience. And I think we touched on this, but just to clarify, Crackable asks, were there rules about permissible beating levels? Like you couldn't draw blood or something like that.
1: Um, so, uh, of course in the, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, we really only have the one law, uh, that deals with that. Next is 21, 20 to 21. Um, you, you do also have, um, 26 and 27, which says if you, um, you know, destroy the eye or, or knock out a tooth, uh, that they are to be, their debt is to be canceled. They're to be set free. Um, those are pretty severe injuries. Uh, And that's, that's appendix B in the book is I look at all of the laws on battery, assault and battery, Uh, because that question always comes up for me. Sorry, I will answer the question. Uh, But it always comes up like if you ever if you guys know who Mike Winger is, Mm -hmm. um, if, oh, gosh, look at this, like, if they were to do something as little as knock out an eye,
0: just (laughs) just an eye,
1: (laughs) or or knock out a tooth. God saw fit to give you a spare. so (laughs) Like, what? You know, and and so what I decided to do is instead of just saying what a stupid thing to say, um, which I think probably in most cases would be sufficient, I actually wanted people to be able to say, let me show you how severe putting out an eye is uh, from the the standpoint of the law. Uh, It's one of like the top three injuries uh, that you see, right? Beating uh, a pregnant woman uh, who is either free, like a, a free daughter or wife, and she miscarries. That's like, that. that's, uh, or you, you beat her uh, and she dies. That's the big one. If she miscarries, that's also pretty big. Um, but like putting out an eye, tooth, anything in the facial region, it's a big deal. And it's because you're abusing the person, right? Anyway, um, so... Uh, as uh, that—that's sort of the—the the rule in the Hebrew Bible is like, careful how you discipline your slave.
0: Keep it below the shoulders.
1: Yeah, yeah you wanna—you wanna hit them in a place where it hurts, but it's not gonna permanently injure them, right? That's sort of the idea. Um, now we have other types of laws about treatment uh, of slaves in—in uh, in the wider ancient Near East. So, for example. Um, in uh, the Middle Syrian palace decrees, uh, which were uh, rules about people that were um, uh, in the harem, the king's harem, and those people that interacted with them, like here are the rules there. If, if a woman had a, a female slave, um, and that female slave disobeyed her, she was allowed to uh, punish her, like physically punish her, um, to a, to a certain extent, um, the second time they had to take her before the king and he was supposed to set out the punishment. Um, but they the, the woman wasn't allowed to beat her beyond what the king allowed or you know, and, and it would be a serious probably death uh, for the woman that that abused the slave. So um, like it's it, it's it's not as uh, explicit, you know as something like here's specifically how far you can go. Um, but like the general rule is moderate correction is sort of what they were going for.
0: So to kind of summarize where we've been so far, uh, the slavery laws that existed in the Bible were, had their own differences, but were fairly consistent with the laws that existed elsewhere in their time period, in their culture. Yeah. And uh, those laws did include things like you had to release slaves on the seventh year, but that was only for Israelite men. Uh, there certainly was chattel slavery where people were owned as property forever, and their kids. It uh, has people were beaten. These were slaves, and there's yeah. no way around that. And while yeah. it may not have been, you can quibble over exactly how it falls compared to say the antebellum South, but I don't think there's any kind of question. Dan Smith asked, is a slave of the Bible the same as a slave of America? And while you could maybe argue a little bit in the gray area, it sounds like if by slave you mean a person who has owned his property to do labor, then they're slaves.
1: Yeah. And I mean, again, it just sort of depends. It's like asking the question now, and I feel like I get a little pedantic. Unfortunately, I think I have to, when people say like, is the Bible true? Yeah, it's like it. What well, well, like it depends on what you mean, right? right? And um, also depends
0: on where you're talking about. Right? Yeah, that's
1: right. Um, <laughs> uh, or is it like historically reliable? Well, I mean, it depends, <laughs> right, right? Right. Um, and so that that that's a great question. But the same is true. Like, is it the same as a slave in America? It just depends on what you mean. So if we're comparing the laws about slavery, uh, from you know the antebellum South and the laws about slavery in the Hebrew Bible, yeah, they're they're there's a, There are a lot of similarities that are a little eerie. In fact, like you have laws uh, that, and again, they're all in the book, but like that they say stuff like, it would be like unfitting for a Christian to abuse their slave, right? Like no good Christian would treat someone so vulnerable uh, as a slave in this way, right? But that they're wrestling with the tension of, master has to be able to beat the slave in order to motivate them and to correct them. But the slave is a human, right? Uh, that's what the law is saying. And, uh, we, we you know, they, 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 um, like there was a, there, there were laws that said, if you murdered a slave, it was like the same, there would be just like you would murdered a free white person. Right? So, but the question of course is just like, what, as what you pointed out. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, i think that would have been that would have been was it enforced or did they leave? it was it enforced how would you yeah. prove it all of those things like the actual um logistics of implementing the law and carrying it out i think were obviously incredibly problematic and right obviously there were horrendous atrocities all the time so
0: so Let's let's look at the kind of context in which these conversations are happening. We're having these conversations often with Christian apologists. People who have a very specific way of looking at the Bible, um, like we talked about at the beginning. People have like a theological commitment to inerrancy, to believing that the Bible is literally true, that everything that was said then is applicable now. Um, it, it seems to me like it doesn't have to be that way. First of all, not all Christians think that, sure. and. Jewish people have the same old, I mean, there's differences, but they're using many of the same books and the the Jews aren't running around thinking slavery is fine. You know, like, that's right. Uh, so how do you, you've engaged in this conversation a lot. How do you go about like sussing out that point?
1: Yeah. I mean, usually the first thing that I say is, uh, my wife is a Christian, right. Um, and that surprises a lot of people. Um, but like Megan is obviously uh, in like very very much pro LGBTQ, uh, you know, pro trans rights, and people are, whoa, well, how could how could she be a Christian then, right? Well, it's because she defines Christian differently than you do, um, and uh, you know, I, somebody commented recently, she's a purple-haired liberal. Uh, which I guess they thought was some sort of a put down. I it's like thank thank you, <laughs> thank, thank you. One time, yeah, uh,
0: <laughs> somebody in our comments said this is a woke apologetics channel. I was like, I'm
1: gonna put Aww. that on like the top. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> 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 thanks for noticing. Can I quote you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, But um, so yeah, I I in fact I said I, I was talking to someone who uh, was a fundamentalist evangelical a couple nights ago in Discord. And I I, I listen to Discord a fair amount, um, and sometimes talk. And uh, this person was, you know, sort of interested in the fact that I had deconstructed. And uh, and I said, they said, "Well, why? What like, what was it? Why? Why would you leave the faith?" And I said, "Well, let me let me answer that by asking you a question. Um, if you woke up tomorrow and realized that the Exodus didn't happen." right? Or that Adam wasn't a historical figure, right? Um, or there was no tower of Babel story that was historically reliable. Um, what would that do to your faith? And the answer came like immediately. Oh, well, I mean, like if there's just one thing that's, you know, an error in the Bible, my faith falls apart. And I said, well, that's what happened to me. Um, but but for, Sorry, if you could, I, was gonna, I was
2: going to, I was going to say something. I think it's important too to realize that a lot of the discourse we have online is with Christian apologists or people who are very familiar with Christian apologist rhetoric. Um, but many Christians haven't even explored the topic of slavery or genocide in the Old Testament, and wouldn't even know that it's there because they haven't taken the time. And I think we need to keep that in mind when we're when we're having discourse with a lot of Christians.
1: Oh yeah, and and I think that what ends up happening. This is what happened. It's not my area of expertise, right? So I, it's sort of my catchphrase. But um, like, I am not an expert in all things antebellum South slavery, right? So please, nobody hear that. Uh, my research was in a very specific, narrow uh, area, looking at the laws. But like, as I understand it, uh, the abolitionist movement. Was like forced essentially when they made their arguments from the Bible to do so very progressively, right? They had to like they had these passages to contend with, right? And so they they just sort of took more liberal, more progressive interpretations. Well, that's that's sort of what's happening. So if you if you watch, it's a really interesting transformation that's taking place. Is people are people are morphing their interpretive models, right? So they're saying, okay, okay. all right, so God can allow for or even endorse something that we consider to be immoral, but he's doing so with a bigger purpose, right? A wider sense, he's working with people. and 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 so like you can see their theology shifting, right? And changing, which I think is great. Because I'd much rather them say, all right, sure, slavery's bad, right? (laughs) I'd much rather that than, oh, well, maybe slavery's okay. Let's try to bring it back, (laughs) which, again, you'll hear, um, much to my chagrin. But I think what I tend to do in those circumstances, people people always, um, there's a fellow by the name of Darth Dawkins. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Uh, such an individual. If you're not, bless you. Uh, you I envy made you. life choices, yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but he he uh came at me a couple of times and uh still is very frustrated with me, I think, which is probably a good thing. Um, and he says, Josh can't even defend his atheism, yeah, um. And, like, yeah. that's not why I'm here, folks. Uh, now, now now, I get that one of my, you know, like, my major series is called The Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament. And so one could read that as, here's my defense of atheism using the Old Testament. That's not what it is. It's, hey, atheists and skeptics that debate Christian apologists all the time, here are the things that you need to know for these debates. It really doesn't have anything to do with atheism. In fact, throughout the books, I say things like, look, the Exodus could be completely mythologized, right? And 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 actually there's no real historical kernel behind it. And it doesn't end people's faith. It doesn't mm-hmm. disprove Christianity. Or it, it need not, right? It need that not. need not necessarily follow. Um, I don't think. I don't think that people need to adhere to uh, this like divine inspiration uh, inerrancy model that so many evangelicals do. Uh, and just one possibility, I think, uh, is that the biblical texts are the record of human beings interacting with the divine. Um, they're having spiritual experiences and they're trying to reckon with them in writing. And this was the result, right? That allows for those things to be inaccurate. It allows for them to have contradictory theological ideas. It allows for it to be a very human work uh, that still is trying to access divine truth. Like, I I think that's perfectly coherent. Um, But, For me, uh, and this is the way that I described it, and then I'll shut up. But, like, uh, I I wasn't afforded the opportunity to be like slow rolled into the historical problems with the Bible. Like, I didn't go to a more progressive seminary that understood the wider ancient Eastern context and dealt with things like Atrahasis and the Gilgamesh Tablet 11 and like all these things. It was just like we got the Bible right, and that's it. So learn Greek and Hebrew real, real well, uh, which is great. Uh, but didn't d- I didn't get apologetics? So you know, do with that, Mister Apologist, what you will. Um, maybe I've just emboldened them. Sorry, uh, but <laughs> but the reality is that I was confronted, sort of rapid fire, with all of these historical problems, um, and on top of that this clear literary dependency of the biblical text on ancient Near Eastern mythology. And those sorts of things just sort of like, it's not that any of them or all of them required Christianity to be false or for God to not exist. It just made me scratch my head and go, well, what makes more sense to me? Mm -hmm. Like, could there be a Santa Claus? I mean, maybe, right but technically perhaps. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, when I see my dad, you know, wearing the, the, the outfit and like trying to climb down a ladder off the roof, you know, in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve, uh, or, you know, I, I, I have people telling me, uh, and in my adult life, there is no Santa Claus, right? Here's where the story developed and here it came from. Is it possible there's Santa Claus? You know, I mean, I guess that's possible. I don't see anything like logically, uh, incoherent about it or contradictory, but um, what makes more sense to me? What's more likely to be the case? Uh, so that that's sort of the position that I come down on.
0: I think that for me, my goal when I'm having this particular conversation is like, I in the con like I am happy to discuss atheism with people, and I think I can defend my atheism, and I think I believe what I believe for good reasons, but if all I can do is convince you to accept that slavery is in fact wrong. Yes. Then we've then I'll consider that a win, right? Yep. And so I think the the angle I would try to go to is like look, you don't need to stop being a Christian. I'm not trying to sell you on atheism today. That's right. Today what I'm trying to find common ground is we both agree slavery is wrong, right? Hopefully, yep. yes, cuz if not I'm leaving, right? <laughs> <laughs> we both agree it's wrong and this is slavery, which means that that means every single thing that's in the Bible doesn't mean it's a command for today. Now that you know that yeah, we can go forth and do good things. Yes. You know, now yeah. we can reinterpret all of this, the scripture yeah. in whatever way you need to recontextualize it, whatever, you know,
1: that's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the short way of saying that is let's get you out of fundamentalism. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if I can get you out of fundamentalism, I will have considered myself successful. Right. Um, yeah. That's the big thing for me.
0: Yeah, so 100%. Well, uh, I want to be respectful of your time. I think we've accomplished what we were trying to accomplish today. The Quiff Notes version, slavery is in the Bible. It is endorsed by the Bible. It's not kind and gentle. It was slavery. And slavery is bad. So, <laughs> so take away
1: nothing else. <laughs> like the fact that we have to say that second one is just yeah. like... Oh, because I'll tell you, I'll I'll, I'll end with... I'll stop talking with this one. The most, if if you go to Godless Engineer's channel, you'll see video clips of a debate that he and I had with uh, G-Man and Veckel, if you're familiar with those names. And the most uncomfortable, maybe not the most, but very uncomfortable uh, moment in that debate, certainly the most uncomfortable in that debate, was when GE asked, or there was a question asked. It wasn't GE that asked that. It was a question from the audience. G Man and Veckel, um, who are black men, um, would you be Godless Engineer's slave under the biblical law? And you know, GE's from the south, <laughs> it's very close to home. And and they said, Yes, we would. And I just like I, I I've it's a white man. Yeah, like it was just like it made me sad, yeah. uh, and horribly uncomfortable. And I just I don't. We should never give any ground to owning people as property. No. Yeah, no ground.
2: I mean, we make light of it sometimes, you know, because you almost have to to even talk about it. Um, yeah. to have the conversation. But yeah, well, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about this today. Um, I know you have a couple books specifically talking about this topic, which I would like you to highlight and people should go and purchase to be able to support your works. What what are those books and where can they find those?
1: Yeah, that the like three years ago I published the first edition of Did the Old Testament endorse slavery and it was a lot thinner and it was just sort of like sort of the one two punch. Uh then it became my thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then I I took the book from about 200 pages to just over 700 pages. Um so it's pretty meaty. Just a little bit bigger. Just a little bit sh- bigger. <laughs> um and and it, again it's supposed to be the, the 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 last thing that you should have to read. Um at least to get the all the fundamentals down. Um and I think there's like 55 pages of bibliography. So I mean it's it's a very It's meant to be your research tool to talk Mm -hmm. about this topic. Um, And so, yeah, and we try to price everything in a way that, um, particularly the Kindle, like the Kindle, every book that we put out on Kindle is always 9.99. And the reality is that it's because these books always end up on those pirated websites, always. Um, And this is like, we actually, make a significant part of our income comes from me publishing books so right. uh but yeah if you uh, i always say this um Megan came up with this idea so like she gets 100% of the credit for it um if people really can't afford uh like even the the 10 dollar kindle version please email us and we'll send you a pdf uh but just don't go get it off the pirated website right yeah don't support uh, that yeah yeah um and if you can afford it obviously yeah it really helps us and if you do buy it please go leave a review uh those are actually super helpful for all of the books um and Seth Andrews narrated this one uh he's if, you, if everybody's familiar with Seth Andrews his voice is like liquid gold it's like it's velvet
0: very buttery <laughs> voice. yeah
1: but he's uh he's narrated both uh atheist handbook to the Old Testament volume one and two. And now he's narrated to the Old Testament into slavery and he did. I'm listening to it now (laughs) because I just love listening to his voice. So, yeah,
0: I empathize with your saying how I guess that's my thing now because we did one episode on the shadow turn. We're like, that's it. That's it. We'll just do the one. We'll be done. And uh, (laughs) that that was not the case. (laughs) Uh, So, yes, definitely. Everybody should go check out uh, Dr. Josh's books. They're excellent. Uh, we'll put links in the description below so you can easily find those.
1: If you just go to Amazon and type type in Joshua Bowen, Joshua Bowen, they'll they'll all come up. Doctor,
0: just type Dr. Josh and immediately slavery. will be right
1: there. (laughs) God. Oh, it's so terrible. (laughs)
0: So, uh, do that. Looking forward on the channel. We've got, uh, soon in the near future we're going to be talking about uh anti-semitism in atheism with vashanti who is a jewish nice. woman. yeah so we're going to be talking about uh how sometimes atheists are taking shots at at christians and like accidentally hitting jews along the way and so we're going to try to dispel that uh so like comment subscribe so you don't miss that uh but until next time remember you've always got reason to doubt peace out